This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Yes, it is the Subway to Shea podcast. Anthony Rivera here with you talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. You can follow the show on Twitter at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. You can also find Subway to Shea on YouTube. This podcast is available on the HSP Network. Catch me alongside podcasts like The Bullpen with DA, Third Floor Lounge, which covers the NFL and NBA, Sus Talk, and the flagship show, The High Spot Podcast. It covers all things professional wrestling. Just search High Spot Podcast on YouTube or youtube.com slash highspotpodcast and make sure to subscribe today. Please take a few minutes to write me a review. Let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I like to know everything. I want to make this show better each and every week for all you Met fans out there. I got a review from Mets Baseball, five stars. This pod is a keeper. I'm a big fan of quality podcasts, and there aren't many around. Today I was cleaning out my podcast, deleting ones that just sat there, not being updated, and then a few others that were just scream fests. Who needs that negativity? Real glad that I found Subway to Shea. Ant is knowledgeable of baseball, talks like a rational human being, and he's a real fan of the team and game. His breakdowns are fair and conscious. Some of this stuff is pretty thought-provoking and has made me reevaluate my thoughts on certain situations. To me, that's a plus because this podcast makes me think more. I like a good challenge, and this podcast provides that. And also has some cool interviews and asks great questions of his guests. If you're looking for a good, solid Mets podcast that gets updated on the regular, give this one a listen. I listened to quite a few episodes of this pod and decided to subscribe keep it going dude and i will mets baseball i will keep this going for you and all of the Mets fans out there each and every week i appreciate the review so there you have it guys leave a review leave five stars if possible that only helps me climb the rankings in sports baseball mets podcasts help this podcast get out there to all the Mets fans We want more and more Met fans listening to this show right here. So without further ado, let's get started with the historic episode 30. That's a 
Big deal, guys. Episode 30 of the Subway to Shea podcast. Joining me now on the Subway to Shea podcast is Jeremy Silverman. He's the co-host of the America's Pastime podcast alongside Michael Gigante. And not too long ago, I was a guest on their show, and I thought it would be great to get Jeremy on and cross-promote. Jeremy's a huge Mets fan. Jeremy, how you doing, buddy? Not too bad, Anthony. How are you? Great, especially after a nice victory the other day. Because guess what, man? The reinforcements have arrived. Jeff McNeil, Michael Conforto finally returned, and their return paid off big dividends right away. Jeff McNeil went three for five with one RBI. Michael Conforto, two for four with two runs in the game against Atlanta. It relaxed the rest of the offense because Lindor also went two for four, had one home run, three RBIs, two runs. James McCann also two for four with one RBI. Since the final Chicago game, the Mets offense has struggled badly, as we all know. It looked like the April Mets just with the replaced Mets players in their place. And not to jab at the replaced Mets and the bench mob because they did such a great job holding down the fort, but I kind of saw this coming. It feels like the replace Mets and this bench mob had finally run its course. Would you agree with that, Jeremy? Yeah, absolutely. It looks at this point that, um, you know, they they contributed most certainly and they got the job done while the guys were out, the, you know, McNeil, the Conforto, Nimmo, Davis. But now you're starting to get those guys back. As you said last night, McNeil, Conforto in the lineup really for the first time together. And you could just really see the difference in the offense, the offensive output how it just lengthens the lineup and allows those guys that were the quote-unquote replacements to now go to the bench or even go to the minors, and it just makes the team so much stronger. And it's like now the Mets need the heart of their lineup back more than ever because the pitching is now taking the brunt of the IL this month, and we'll get more into that a little later. But on a positive note for the pitching staff, Tyler McGill made his debut Four and a third innings pitch, three hits, two earned runs, two walks, and four strikeouts. In the minor leagues, he pitched eight games to a two and one record, 3.35 ERA, and 59 strikeouts. What impressed you the most about Tyler's performance? What impressed me the most about McGill is that up until that final inning, he had pretty good control. I think he was a little bit erratic in the first inning just because it was his major league debut and uh, you know a lot of adrenaline going. But he was able to maintain a pretty consistent velocity in the mid, even upper 90s at some at some point. He was hitting 97, which is pretty surprising considering the scouting reports had him as a guy who really sat in the lower to mid 90s. And then, again, in, in that last inning, he kind of got tired, I think. The adrenaline started to wear off, gave up a walk, gave up the home run, but it's certainly an impressive debut. Yeah, and he seemed to have that poise on the mound. You could see that he seemed relaxed, like you said, just after... Obviously, the big jitters as soon as you get onto a major league ballpark and you're pitching for the first time for a major league team. But he seemed to have a great poise to him the rest of the way through. And I, you know, we all kind of hoped that he would have gotten through the five innings. It wasn't meant to be. But the Mets also got another really good pitching performance by someone that I have not been the biggest fan of, Corey Oswald. (laughs) He stunned me. He made his return during um, you know the multiple roster moves that took place on Wednesday. He pitched two and a third innings, four hits, one earned run, a walk, and two strikeouts, but he gave much-needed relief effort, which was needed from this bullpen core, who continues and continues to prove 
every time someone comes up, it's the next man up, you know? And I know it's only one game, but what changes did you see in Corey Oswalt that you didn't see when he struggled in past years? Because I always thought of him like another Paul Seawald, you know, another guy that's going to continue to struggle every time he gets an opportunity. But I hope he proves me wrong, at least for this first performance in his return. He, he did prove me wrong. Yeah, Oswalt's a guy who's consistently struggled. He's kind of a, a quadruple-A pitcher, you can say. And even this year in the minors, he was not performing particularly well. But they called on him, and he really gave them some really good relief for the rest of that pen, really saved the bullpen. And the biggest thing, I think, with Oswalt, which has always been a problem, is his control in the zone. He's a guy who consistently seems to miss his spots. And last night, he was able to reduce the hard contact, and he walked one guy, and he seemed to just be in control of of his stuff, which was great to see. You know, the big success out of this bullpen is that every pitcher has had a defined role, something that seemed to have lacked in the past with the Mets. Do you think that this could only help further in uh, Corey Oswald's development if, you know, he knows that he's going to be coming in and he's going to be taking on the, you know, I guess the gazelleman role where, you know, he'll be pitching multiple innings? Absolutely. When you have a guy such as Oswald who has always been switched between a starter, reliever, he doesn't really know what his role is. And if he knows that he's going to be that mop-up guy, just as Gazelman knew this year, I've heard in an interview, uh, Trevor May was talking about it, where Robert Gazelman now knows that this is his role. He doesn't have to put his spikes on until a certain situation. And that's really comforting for guys out of that pen. And for Oswald, he can now find his place, maybe find his footing and he can continue to be successful knowing what his place is on this team. Now, Mets fans may be wondering why Corey Oswald even came up with the big club right now. And, well, this past week, the injury bug reared its ugly head towards the Mets, and this time it was in a big way. You know, while we were all worried about Jacob deGrom after the right flexor tendonitis and then the right shoulder soreness, he seems to be fine at the moment. But it came for the rest of the pitching staff, and it came hard. Joey Lucchese suffered a torn UCL, and we all know what that means. The three worst words in baseball, Tommy John surgery. So he's out for the rest of the season and probably most, if not all, of next season. We talked about Robert Gazelman. He's out six to eight weeks with a torn lat. Jerry's Familia, right hip impingement. He's also on the IL. Then you can go to the lineup where we lost Tomas Nito. He got hit. Right wrist contusion, 10 days. Uh, the only two that are not on the IL and are day-to-day right now, Jonathan VR, who had a right calf tightness, running to second base. He pulled up lame. Marcus Stroman, which was a scare to say the least, the one that we didn't want, but he seems to be okay. He has left hip soreness and he's day to day. Okay, Jeremy, which one of these injuries, which one of them hurts the team the most? So the one that has the potential to hurt the team is definitely that Stroman injury because he has been so crucial for that rotation where we have, you know, throughout the year, the Mets have had a pretty poor performance overall from the four and five guys from the back end. But if Stroman can stay healthy and the top of that rotation can stay healthy with DeGrom and Walker as well, then the Mets are going to be sitting pretty. They can replace Joey Lucchese in the back, although he has pitched well as of late. It's unfortunate, uh, an untimely injury to say the least. But they can find innings. They can find a replacement for him. 
But if they were to lose Marcus Stroman for any stretch of time, they lose DeGrom or Walker, then things could really start to spiral out of control. The injuries keep mounting, not just for the Mets, but for the entire league. What do you think should be blamed on this? Is it the schedule, the trainers? What in your mind is the biggest problem for all of these injuries? I, I don't feel like I've seen in my time this many injuries, definitely not on the Mets, but just league-wide. Yeah, the injury bug is certainly affecting every team. And you have to think that the change in schedule from a 60 game schedule to a 162 that jump certainly has some effect on it but it's really hard to diagnose what exactly is the issue i think a lot of teams are also being a lot more cautious than they would have in previous years because of that jump in schedule so certain guys like thomas nito and his contusion his when he got hit by the pitch in, in the past guys would have just sat on the bench for a couple of days and then not been put on the il and now, because of the schedule and because of the need to make sure guys stay healthy for, through the marathon throughout the entire year, they're going to be a little more cautious. The other thing I think is contributing it, to it as well is the change from the 15-day DL to the 10-day IL. That's only been in effect for a couple of years, so that's also allowing teams to be a lot more liberal because they don't have to lose a guy for two weeks now. They can lose him for only 10 days. Now, with the Mets, and we've seen this, both of us being Met fans our entire life, with the injury bug. The big problem with the Mets in the past has been the way they've handled all these injuries in the quote-unquote Wilpon error. I think yep. now with the way that you're seeing it now, being cautious, I think Mets fans really need to start to realize and get used to how important it is for the way the Mets are handling these injuries. I know it's a lot of them, but somehow, some way, this team has been able to stick it through, even just keeping their head above water this past week. Yeah, so when you look at the change in regime from this past offseason, from the Wilpons to the Cohen era, I guess you can call it, uh, what Cohen has brought is a competency up and down the organization that wasn't present before, and that also applies to the training staff and the technology just overall the investment, the dollars that are invested into keeping these players healthy, it's there. So they're doing everything that they possibly can to be cautious, again, to preserve these guys for the long term because they know that come September this team is going to be playing playoff caliber baseball. And they're at this point applying a lot more thought to their decisions than was applied previously. And like being cautious with guys like Michael Conforto, even though he we lost him for six weeks and Jeff McNeil, being more cautious with these guys, having them come back now as you see the you know the bench mob and the replacements starting to tire out, whereas in other years those guys would have been expected to do a whole lot more, and maybe even we would have brought up guys from the minor leagues who just weren't ready yet. Yeah, that is also part of what they did this offseason, that transition, the extra depth that they brought in, guys like VR and Pilar and even Almora, and then all those minor league signings. Some of them could be attributed to Brody Van Wagenen, honestly. But but still, that depth that they have, uh, that's allowed them to be able to sustain a pretty decent performance overall and even succeed in the time that those guys have gone down. And in years past, as you said, they would have, pushed a guy like McNeil or Conforto because they didn't have the proper knowledge of proper expertise or investment into the team that they have now. And you would be seeing guys like, again, McNeil and Conforto out for maybe 
the entire year or, or for past 60 days, but they only came back in, in a month. And that just makes a, a humongous difference in the way that the team is going to perform for the rest of the year now. And it also affords them to bring up guys right now like a Tyler McGill or even they haven't brought him up yet, but Thomas Zabuki as well. He's waiting in the wings and people are wondering, why aren't they bringing him up now? Why aren't they bringing him up now? But, you know, they don't have to rush these guys like maybe they would have done in the past. Whereas we wouldn't be able to see them develop like a Justin Turner. He's like my biggest example. A guy who really, you know, he came up a little too early. He also wasn't given a defined role. They drop him. He gets a defined role and develops in the Dodgers and he becomes a star with them. I feel like now we can start seeing that happen. Whereas in the past, we probably would have lost a couple players already. Absolutely. I mean, it's not a coincidence that all these players, when they left the Mets, they went on to other organizations that were more analytics-driven, more data-driven, better overall organizations, you could say, and were able to succeed. The The organizations were able to get the best out of them. If you look at a guy even like Chris Flexen, I mean, he's what, ex- exactly what you're talking about, a mm-hmm. Corey Oswald type. He was up and down, didn't know what his role was. Now he goes overseas, and then he goes to the Mariners, and now he's an extremely solid major league starter. So it's just... It's unfortunate to think about all the missed opportunities for the Mets in the past, but the future is looking a lot brighter because of now that, as you said, that ability to develop these guys. Now, we talked about Jacob deGrom briefly. He started game one of the Braves doubleheader. Five innings pitched, one hit, two walks, six strikeouts. He looks to be fine following those injuries that I spoke of earlier on in the show. I think it could be, for him, uh, a little bit of aging, Now, I know his arm is young, and his pitching arm is young because he started late. But his body's getting older, and he's throwing at levels that no one has ever seen before. Do you agree that maybe all these injuries is just coming along with age? Yeah, I think that the fact he's 33 years old now, what was his birthday a couple days ago? Uh, And also the fact, as you mentioned, that he's throwing harder than anyone has ever before and more in terms of the number of 100-mile-per-hour fastballs, uh, his his slider, the velocity with that. Everything that he throws is just so much harder than anyone has ever done at such that level. So it's now a question of what can the human body really take? Are all these injuries because of the fact that his body has reached its, uh, I guess, I, I don't know the correct term for it, the, the maximum maybe. that it can take? Maybe yeah, it's peak, yeah. Yeah, so, and the good thing is this year, he's actually getting some run support, finally. Finally, it's nice to see Jake get some run support. He's 7-2 and two this year with a astounding, I don't even know if there's enough adjectives to use for this, but a .50 ERA, 117 strikeouts. You know, the start against the Cubs a few weeks ago where he left after three innings pitch, he struck out eight of those nine batters. What do you make of this historic ride that Jake is taking all of us on right now? Not just Met fans, like the entire baseball world. It's pretty incredible to see. He is definitely the most dominant pitcher that I've ever seen in my lifetime. I've been following baseball for 15 years. I mean, if you look, if you compare him to even what Matt Harvey did in his magical 2013 run, it doesn't even compare. Doesn't What he did in 2018 doesn't even compare to what he's doing now. And... Is this the best we've ever seen him, or is there even more in the tank? Can, can he do even more than this? I guess we'll just have to wait and see. And I know people don't like to compare errors, but from this era to other errors, 
we're getting comparisons to some of the great pitching seasons of all time. We're talking Pedro Martinez. We're talking Gibson. We are in crazy levels right now of where Jake has taken us. And as a Med fan, you just got to be excited about this. Yeah, absolutely. When you look at some of the statistics that try and compare those errors, such as ERA plus and, and other uh, stats like that, DeGrom has been better than those guys. And for it to happen for a Mets pitcher, a homegrown Mets pitcher like this, it's absolutely crazy. And to see the way that the crowd reacts to him on every single pitch, every single strikeout, it's going to be a, a lot of fun going down the stretch here if this team continues to play well and crowds start really to pack in the stadium going forward. I know a lot of Mets fans, including myself, don't like to compare him to the franchise Tom Seaver. Different, like I mentioned, different era. Each era, what's great about this now is that each era of Met fandom has their pitcher. You know, Tom Seaver, 60s, 70s, 80s, it was always Doc Gooden. I guess from the 2000s on is now we have Jacob deGrom. And you can only continue to just see this amazing pitcher with his poise and just how he acts even off the field as you you know when they took a check of him to see if he had any of the sticky stuff he was the first guy that they checked he did everything the right way he laughed it off as you'd see other pitchers you know some of them dropping their pants some of them getting very frustrated over it but jake max is, scherzer max scherzer i think sergio <laughs> romo too was another one who dropped his pants because he was upset about it but jacob yeah. Degrom is he's just the consistent professional on and off the field, and that is a very big positive for this organization, especially coming off of the leadership that David Wright gave the team. Yeah, it's really great to see the way that he conducts himself. And if you can imagine Matt Harvey, I'm not not to you know crap on him or anything, but if Matt Harvey were in the position that Jacob Degrom is with this level of dominance, how he would be acting, you compare that to how Degrom acts, how he do, he's very humble. He, you know, just kind of laughs everything off, like you said. It's it's really nice to see such a, I guess, a blue-collar worker in such a great position as he is in. Once again, I'm here with Jeremy Silverman, co-host of the America's Pastime podcast. Jeremy, tell us a little bit about the show and what can be expected from each and every episode. Yeah, so on America's Pastime, we talk about a lot of different things. We have weekly Mets, Yankees, and general baseball discussions. We'll talk about interesting topics, whatever is at hand, you know, the sticky substances last week or whatever new controversy is going to come up this next week, who knows. And we occasionally also do history episodes because um, Mike, the, my co-host, and I both love history. So, uh, you know, we started the podcast because we like talking baseball, we like talking history. So we like to do both. And uh, it, it's a lot of fun and uh, you know, we're going to continue to post new stuff going forward. Jeremy, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. I hope we can do this again real soon. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, please let everyone know where they can reach you and your work on social media. Absolutely, Anthony. Thanks for having me. So you can reach us on Twitter at APT underscore pod, on Instagram at APT underscore pod underscore and you can find us on most podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. All right, Jeremy, thanks so much, and we'll talk real soon, buddy. All right, thanks, Anthony.
That was Jeremy Silverman. He is the co-host of the America's Pastime podcast alongside Michael Giganti. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and give it a listen. Now, my final thoughts before this train leaves the station. Pete Alonso, he's going to compete in the Home Run Derby on July 12th. He will look to defend his title. He won in 2019 because in 2020, COVID hit. No All-Star game, no All-Star festivities. In 2019, he won 23-22 against Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the final round. I read on ESPN that Guerrero Jr. is sitting this one out. I don't know if I heard if Shohei Otani is going to be in there. I can't confirm that, but I thought I heard there was some talk that he would be in it, but I am not too sure at the moment. I'm going to have to check on that. Continuing with All-Star festivities, did you guys see the All-Star game uniforms? Hideous, atrocious, an abomination. In the words of Kevin McAllister from one of my all-time favorite movies, Home Alone, Wolf. I can't see these being a hot seller for fans. I don't know why they didn't look at the old ones for concept art from the 98 All-Star Game, which was also played in Colorado. That's actually also the first time I ever watched an All-Star Game was the 1998 one. The hats are okay. They have the purple star behind it. Well, it's a black hat with the purple and white star behind it for the Colorado Rockies. And then on top of that is the logo of the team. So you'll get the Mets, Yankees, Cardinals, all of that on top of that star. But the jerseys are hideous. Besides the patch, there's no reference to the Rockies. There is blue, red, and white, which is the color of the Atlanta Braves. So maybe they didn't have enough time to change anything around because it was on such short notice that they moved the All-Star game from Atlanta to the Colorado Rockies Stadium. It may have been too late at that point. But what's even worse is that the team's will wear these jerseys during the game. This is not going to be like during the festivities where a home run derby and the other events that they're having that they would usually wear them. That's how I used to remember. You'd see them wear the American League jerseys and the National League jerseys during a home run derby or, you know, during uh, celebrity games. They would wear those jerseys. No, 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 no. They're going to wear these jerseys during the game. So we don't get to see every team's jersey during the all-star game this year they've never done this before well at least in my lifetime let me make let me correct myself in my lifetime i've never seen them wear those specific all-star jerseys during the game to me this is bad week bad week for rob manfred and company all-star uniforms and the sticky stuff check man he should just be fired for those jerseys alone it's crazy to see But that will wrap up this week's show. Please take a few minutes to write me a review. Let me know what you think of the show. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. Give me five stars and leave a couple of comments on the review. I would appreciate it. It will only help me climb the rankings in baseball, sports, Mets podcasts. I want this podcast to get out to all the Mets fans out there. I want them to know that this is one place that they can listen to uh, good Mets content. So please 
do me a favor. Give me five stars on Apple Podcasts. Leave me comments and reviews so people can know how good this show is. Now, you can follow the show on Twitter at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. You can also find Subway to Shea on YouTube. This podcast is available on the HSP Network. Catch me alongside podcasts like The Bullpen with DA, Third Floor Lounge, which covers the NFL and NBA, Sus Talk, and their flagship show, The High Spot Podcast, which covers all things professional wrestling. Just search High Spot Podcast on YouTube or youtube.com slash highspotpodcast and make sure to subscribe today. Well, that will do it for this week's podcast. Always remember to listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera, you've been listening to Subway to Shea. Let's go Mets!